Hi, welcome to the podcast. As is typical, ideas for the podcast come from either real patient encounters or suggestions from friends. Well, in this episode, we're going to cover something that happened with a true patient encounter. The patient failed her one-hour glucose tolerance test in pregnancy, but passed the three-hour test according to set diagnostic criteria. However, there was one abnormal value on that three-hour test. So, what do we do with that? And what kind of counseling do we give this kind of patient? Stay tuned, we're going to cover that next. Alright, so here's a clinical issue. What happens to the patient who flunks the one-hour glucose screen, whether it's the carpenter calcin cutoff of 130 or the National Diabetic Data Group cutoff of 140, but who passes the three-hour glucose tolerance test because only one value exceeds the limit and not the diagnostic criteria of two or more abnormal values? Well, actually, in most cases, of course, she is considered to be a non-diabetic and less attention generally is paid to tracking her progress and outcomes. However, the data since 2016 actually show that women who have only one elevation in a three-hour glucose tolerance test actually have similar maternal and fetal outcomes as patients diagnosed with gestational diabetes. All right, let's get into the data now. Rutger et al. published a 25-study meta-analysis on this very subject. Now, screening for diabetes has become complicated because the methods in the literature vary according to different glucose challenges, glucose thresholds, and the timing for maternal blood sampling. Now, the most common screening method in the U.S. has been to use a 1-hour, 50-gram, oral glucose load. Remember, this is a screen, followed by a blood sample taken one hour later. Published cutoffs vary by the carpenter calcin criteria, which is 130 milligrams per deciliter, or the National Diabetic Data Group, which is 140 milligrams per deciliter. If the patient's blood sugar exceeds the selected value, then it's recommended that she have a 100-gram, 3-hour glucose tolerance test. Now, there are two sets of upper limits for the three-hour glucose tolerance test, just like there is for the one-hour screen, the carpenter calcin criteria, which has lower cutoffs, and the National Diabetic Data Group. As point of curiosity, we actually use a National Diabetic Data Group, which is how we were trained in our Parkland days and still continue to use the NDDG criteria still today. All right, check out this meta-analysis. The authors of this study looked over the literature from 1966 through 2015 to find studies involving patients who had abnormal one-hour screening tests followed by the full 100-gram glucose tolerance test. They focused on studies that satisfied their maternal and neonatal outcome criteria. Then, they compared outcomes from those with only one abnormal value with those who had two or more, in other words, who were diagnosed with gestational diabetes, as well as those who were normal and who had no elevated values on their glucose tolerance. 
Now, after applying seemingly rigorous exclusion criteria, the authors were left with 25 studies that had adequate outcome data. This population was about 4,500 women. Now, when compared with those women with no glucose tolerance test elevations, those women with only one abnormal value still went on to have higher rates of macrosomia, higher rates of neonatal hypoglycemia, heavier mean birth weights, total cesarean sections, and even higher rates of pregnancy-induced hypertension. This group, with only one abnormal value, also had lower 5-minute APGAR scores. So here's a clinical pearl. Those patients who had only one abnormal value on the glucose tolerance test actually had similar rates of adverse outcomes when you compared them to women who had true gestational diabetes. So, as we wrap up this quick podcast, here it is. This study, this large meta-analysis, becomes useful when we find a patient who fails her one-hour screen and goes on to pass her three-hour glucose tolerance test, but is noted to have one abnormal value. According to this study, this study suggests that patients in this intermediate glycemic category or this impaired glucose tolerance group seem to have the same prediction of adverse neonatal outcomes as true gestational diabetes and therefore should not simply be ignored or put through routine care. Perhaps it's at least should be a consideration to have a repeat ultrasound scan for weight at about 34 to 36 weeks and to consider non-stress testing or antepartum fetal surveillance again after about 34 to 36 weeks since these patients may be at risk for adverse neonatal outcomes. All right, look, as we close the podcast, you should have a question. And that question should be, hey, wait a minute, does it matter which of the four values is the one abnormal? In other words, is it only important if the fasting value is abnormal or if one of the three post-glucose challenge values is the abnormally high one? Well, this has been studied as well. Now, although more data is needed, it seems to be that if the diagnosis of gestational diabetes mellitus is based only on one abnormal value rather than the two or more current diagnostic criteria, well, it doesn't seem to matter which of the four values is actually abnormal because the outcomes do not change. So once again, if the fasting blood sugar is the abnormal value, or one of the three post-glucose challenge tests is the abnormally high one, it doesn't seem to make a difference. Patients who have one abnormal value on the glucose tolerance test and do not meet the true diagnostic criteria of two or more for GDM still behave similar to true gestational diabetics for the remainder of that pregnancy. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.